you to join me in John chapter 13 as we continue our preaching through the gospel of John, John chapter 13. We're come to the, uh, Jesus had just finished washing the feet of his disciples and here he is uh, about to change gears, if you will, in, in verse number 18 of John 13. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. I know we're in a, in a stuffed building. We're used to that around here. Um, we just a few just a few sporadic seats available. Uh, that's the way we have church. It's the first service is that way, second service that way, the evening service is that way. We're used to being jammed full. Uh, but in a in a service like this, and it should be that way at any time. Uh, if it's not an emergency, I, I ask you just to sit still. It's not an emergency. Uh, there's no need. Now, if somebody's went to the restroom already and they come in, let's not boo. You know. Uh, if somebody gets up, I, it doesn't. That, that's not going to be a, an issue with me. I've, I preach in all kinds of different venues. I preach uh, in, in different places. I preach a lot of youth meetings. I preach a lot of churches. Babies scream. And I used to preach in churches where, uh, where uh, mountain churches that didn't believe in a nursery. Like if you had a nursery, you're a liberal. But the mamas kept the babies in the in the in the service always, and and we don't mind if you do. We have a nursery available, and it's certainly nice nursery, and all uh, staffed and and uh, background checked and trained and all that. But if you choose to keep it with you, I, I, listen, I understand. But here's the deal: if you are just you, I'm not even talking to mamas with babies because they're at the mercy of the baby. I'm not even talking to those of you that have a medical condition. I'm talking to those of you that have no condition other than a heart problem. That's who I'm talking about. Teenagers, I'm talking to you. Uh, this morning is, is a message that I have this whole week. It's been heavy on my heart. Because I come to the text, I knew it was coming. I, I could see it coming. And it's a burden as a pastor because I pastor people and I, I think I know our people. I really do. Now, some of you are new to our church. Some of you are visiting our church, so I don't know you and you don't really know me. Some of you are newer to our church, and so I, I don't know you like I know some of the ones that's been uh, around for a long time, and we're getting to know one another. But I think I know our church as far as in the spiritual, what I would call the pulse of our church. Jesus has just showed us the most, I guess, the most humbling example in all of the scriptures, outside of his death on the cross, was the washing of the feet of the disciples. He washed the feet of those that would betray him. Uh, matter of fact, you know, to me, washing feet is one thing, but to wash the, the, the feet of Judas Iscariot, who we're going to preach about, that's a whole different... Knowing that he would betray... I was reading, I love history, I was reading about a story, all of you are familiar, at least if you know anything about our, our nation's history, you're familiar with a story. certain officer in, in the Revolutionary War, he, he established himself as a military genius. In fact, in only one battle did he taste defeat. He had already become a wealthy man, he was living in Connecticut, the war broke out, so he joins the fight for independence against England. And when he heard about it, he automatically enrolled. He was very, uh, very militant. He was a, a very good fighter, a very good soldier, and led to some victories. Matter of fact, only had one loss in all of those battles. He only lost one time. And so General Washington, uh, at the time, he was yet the president yet, but he was General Washington. He was, he was um, um, 
leading this battle, and he noticed this young man, and he said, hey, one day you might make you a general. Well, uh, when the, I guess the Congress met, I guess he was president at the time, when the Congress met, they actually established five generalships. And they said, we're going to name five generals. Well, they overlooked this certain soldier. And, of course, you could understand when they overlooked him for younger, healthier uh, generals. He got upset. He was bitter. Matter of fact, resentment settled in. Well, he went on and he said, I guess I'll, I'll continue to fight. And so he did a few more battles only to be wounded any, some more and only to be, I guess, crippled, if you will. And uh, his bitterness continued to grow after fighting. And, and, and General Washington even said, I, I may uh, make you a leader at West Point. And that never came. And so one day this soldier decided to sell out. He decided to give some very important plans to the British army. Now what his plan thought about turning over, and really it was all about West Point at the time, and what he thought about doing was turning over these plans and his plot was only broke up. Matter of fact, the, 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 the guy that was going to bring the plans and, and make it all happen, he actually got captured. And as soon as this soldier heard of the capturing of this informant, he runs to that ship that was parked in the Hudson River and gets on that ship and sails to England. His name was Benedict Arnold. Benedict Arnold eventually died, an old crippled man that was ostracized. He's called a traitor. Nobody's naming their children today Benedict. Nobody's saying, hey, let's name our son Benedict. Why? Because we associate that name with a traitor. He was going to sell out our country, and now we, we know that this man, this man, he's, he's a betrayer. Well, there's one even worse than Benedict Arnold. This man we're going to read about in Scripture today, he betrayed not a country, he betrayed Jesus. We pick up in verse number 18 of John 21. He said, I speak not of all of you, or of you all. I know whom I have chosen. Now, John 13, 18. What Jesus is talking about happened in Mark chapter 3 when Jesus actually chose, now get this, Jesus chose the 12 disciples by name. He lists them in Mark chapter 3, lists them all by name. Anytime you read the list of the disciples, Judas is always last. And he's usually got a name beside it, a nickname called the betrayer. Judas would betray Jesus. And Jesus knew. I'll show you in just a minute how Jesus knew. But he said, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, you twelve. But that the scripture may be fulfilled, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against thee. Now, Jesus is actually quoting Psalms 41 and verse number 9. I've read Psalms 41 many times and I actually always thought that David was talking about himself being betrayed. But Jesus in the New Testament actually quotes David in the Old Testament. I love when the Old Testament and New Testament come together. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus is actually quoting David. What was David talking about? David, it was prophesying how Jesus would be betrayed. Jesus is referring back to Psalm 41 on how he would, he would have his heel lifted against and he would be betrayed. Verse 19, now I tell you before it come that when it is come to pass ye may believe that I am He. So He's prophesying. When this comes to pass, you'll know. 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. I want to preach with God's help this morning on Judas Iscariot. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the text. I pray that you will help us. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us already today and all the help that you've given. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Becoming a traitor is not all that far-fetched. In fact, betrayal is the logical extension. Get this, it's a logical extension of selfishness. If you battle selfishness, we all kind of battle selfishness in a way. When we battle selfishness and we always want to be number one, we always want to be the best, we always want to be the, the, the just, just it's my way or the highway, it's me, put me first, it's all about me. There is a good indication that you have that trait of betrayal. Traitors are always simply those who just have to be first. And, and I want us to go back to chapter 13. I want us to look at verse number uh, 17. He says, if you know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. What is he talking about? He's talking about, of course, the humility that he has presented to his disciples. This is what I want you to do. I want you to wash feet. I want you to humble yourself. I want you to stoop low and humble yourself in a way that you would wash even your enemy's feet. Why, why was Judas a disciple? Judas, why was he a disciple? Think about it. Why, why did he have to be a disciple? I mean, out of 12 people, one is a betrayer. How did Jesus make Judas a disciple? Well, I, I believe there's some questions that we have to ask ourselves this morning. The first thing is this. If Judas would betray Jesus and Jesus knew it, why did Jesus choose Judas? If he knew that he would betray him, then why did Jesus choose Judas? Now, I want you to remember that Jesus did indeed choose Judas to be his follower. As I referred to in Mark chapter 3, he calls, in verse number 16, he calls them to be his disciples, to follow Jesus, his 12 disciples. It was, it was Judas's choice. And it was also Jesus' choice to call Judas. It was his choice. It was his will. It was his sovereign purpose. He did not travel through Judea asking for resumes. He did not go and stop to a bunch of Jews that were confined and said, Hey guys, who would want to be my disciple? Uh, close your eyes, bow your head, raise your hands, and, and we'll, we'll take uh, you up on it. If you want to, we'll, we'll call you to be a disciple. No, Jesus did not do that. Jesus knew who he was calling. He knew what they would do. He knew why they would be chosen. He knew that his disciples, Mark, would serve him in Alexandria. He knew that, that Peter would preach uh, the first message there on this, uh, this new dispensation of grace. He knew that Matthew would plant churches in Ethiopia before being killed by the sword. He knew John would be exiled to Patmos and eventually boiled with hot oil alive. But he also knew Judas would betray him. So you've got to ask the question, if Judas was chosen to ultimately serve as the fulfiller of prophetic scripture, did Judas have a choice in the matter? The answer is yes. 
He did. He was not a puppet. He was not a puppet on a string. He was not divinely set up. Jesus Christ gave Judas chance after chance after chance. Think about this. Jesus discipled Judas for three years. Jesus washed Judas' feet. Jesus invites him to be the guest of honor at the Last Supper. He gave him the seat of honor in the garden. He called him friend. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus looks at Judas and says, Friend. He gave him chance after chance. So what Judas would do was as much prophetic fulfillment as to what Peter would preach. But Peter from the human side had to choose to preach. John had to choose to write. Judas had to choose to betray. And he did. Here's the third question that leads me about this. Why, why was he a disciple? The question number three is this. What was it that attracted Judas to Jesus? Why would Judas be attracted to Jesus. Now stay with me. I'm laying some groundwork. I want you to I want you to kind of focus just a little bit to simply put it, it was the potential for the overthrow of Rome and a position of power. Judas seen something in Jesus that might could fit his agenda. Now you need to understand that the scriptures make it very clear that Judas was not a believer. He was a classic hypocrite. He was a false disciple who pursued Christ for selfish reasons. I want you to go back in John and look at John chapter 6 and verse 64. I want you to notice that these disciples walked out on Jesus after Jesus declares himself the bread of life. But I want you to know what Jesus... There's one particular verse that I'm interested in in referring to what I'm preaching today. Look at verse 64. But there are some of you, this is the words of Jesus, that believe not. And he's talking about those that are about to walk away. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should what? Betray him. Now we're going back seven chapters. Jesus knew from the very beginning who it would be that would betray him, who it would be that would walk away from him. And so Jesus knew all along. This did not catch him by surprise. To everyone else, Judas just looked like, he acted like, he, in fact, he preached, he helped, he, he cast out demons along with the other 11 disciples. I mean, he did everything else that everybody else did. And that is happening today. That is happening today. There are people who say they are Christians. There are people who act like they're Christians. There are people who talk about it. There are people, and the Lord knows that in their heart, that they are hypocrites, that they're just following Him for what He can give them. It was popular in John 6. It was popular in John 13. And it's popular in 2023. And it was so, listen to this church, it was so hidden who this betrayer was that the, the Jesus' very own disciples 
said, Lord, is it I? Is it me? They could not guess Judas. That's how good of an actor Judas was. I believe when Hollywood's looking for actors, they ought to go to a lot of Baptist churches. Matter of fact, they could probably find some in the pulpit. The truth is, they so respected Judas that they put him in charge of the money. You don't put a thief and a conniver in charge of the finances. Judas Judas had them all snowed. He had them all fooled. Now, you need to remember Judas stuck it out for three years. I mean, it's hard to do something for three months. It's hard to do some things for three weeks. Judas followed Jesus, the Son of God, for three years. He went everywhere with Jesus. He was not the kind of person who just slips into church and sits on the back row. Not talking about anyone in the very back, back there. Somebody's got to do it. Judas would have volunteered to teach. He would have volunteered to preach. He would have been selected uh, as, as an excellent candidate for maybe a deacon or an elder in a church or some type of teacher or leader. But on the outside, he, he looked like a committed disciple who was willing to go through ridicule, willing to go through pain, uh, willing to be deprived of, of being one of, of, of Jesus' disciples. But on the inside, he was a traitor in the making. So Jesus, or Judas rather, Judas, why a disciple? Judas, why a betrayer? We see why he might have been a disciple. He, Of course he was chosen, but then there were some things that we could call qualities that Judas possessed. But then there's the betrayal. I believe there's three reasons, and I want you to get this. There's three reasons why I believe Judas betrayed Jesus. The first one, I want you to go back to chapter 12, John 12, and I want you to see the first reason why I believe he betrayed Jesus. Look at John chapter 12, and let's start in verse number 3. I've done preached this text, but I want, you to, I want to remind you of why maybe Judas betrayed Jesus. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard very costly and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the odor of oint, the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, there's, there's the second name that we'll get to in just a minute, Simon's son, he mentions his father, which should betray him. Now notice the next verse. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Now this is the treasurer. Why are you spilling this out all over Jesus? Why are you anointing him? You're wasting precious spikenard. This he said, verse 6, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. Now, John wrote this 40 years after the fact, so John had some bones to pick with Judas. He's a thief. He minces no words. And had the bag and bare what was put therein. The reason that Judas, one of the reasons that Judas betrayed Jesus, look up here, is because he loved money. The love of money is the root of all evil. It's one thing to have money, but it's another thing for money to have you. 
It's one thing for it to consume you. Hey, listen, you will betray people. Oh, pastor, I'd never betray anybody. Oh, you would if money was involved. Oh, yes. He, matter of fact, the Greek word that John uses to describe him is the word we get kleptomaniac. He was a thief in, in John 12, verse number 9, I believe it is, or verse number 6, rather, uh, he, he calls him a thief. That's where we get our word, kleptomaniac. Judas had been secretly stealing from the disciples this whole time. Had his hand in the bag. The first thing we see is uh, maybe his attraction to money would cause him to betray Jesus. Here's the second reason. The second reason would be this. He had affection for Jerusalem. Affection for Jerusalem. Now it is clear that Judas, like any Jewish patriot at that time, they were under Roman authority. Rome had had complete authority, had kind of taken over Jerusalem. And Judas loved Jerusalem. He hated Rome. And anybody that would help him defeat Rome would be his Hero. Could you imagine being in the United States of America and another country coming and overtaking us and us being under their authority, how much we would despise them? We used to say things like that and we used to think, oh, phew. now we look at it and we're like, hmm. Could you imagine another country coming into our country and taking over our country and telling us what to do and, 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 and dictating everything that we do, how much we would resent them and want somebody to come in and save us. Judas hate, hated Rome so much that he was hoping. I believe he probably was thinking, I'll just throw my lot in with him and bring in the kingdom, the earthly kingdom that he was hoping Jesus would bring. But there's something strange happens. Instead of rushing for the Roman emperor's throne, as maybe Judas hoped that Jesus would do in the height of his popularity, Jesus starts talking about dying. Dying? What kind of hero talks about dying? What kind of Messiah are you? What kind of Jesus are you to talk about dying? We're supposed to be living. We're supposed to be conquering. We're supposed to be overthrowing Rome. And you're talking about dying? What Judas did not ever get was Jesus did not come to overthrow Rome. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to die on the cross. He came to be buried. He came to rise again and conquer death, hell, and the grave. And Judas never could see that as some of the other disciples never quite caught on till after. So Judas knew then and there that Jesus was not the Messiah he had been waiting for. Here's the third reason I believe that maybe Judas betrayed Jesus was this. He had an avid hatred for Rome. Now, I said that earlier. He had an affection for Jerusalem. He loved Jerusalem. But I believe the third reason is he hated Rome. And you say, Pastor, where do you get that? Well, the last name I just read to you in John 12 is the word Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. Some commentators believe that's the Greek form of the Hebrew Iscarioth, which is a man of Kerioth. It's a town that would have been nearby 
that Judas could have been born in, and he could have been from Kerioth, which would be interesting because all the other 11 disciples were, uh, were Jews, of course, but, but this meaning that, that Judas would have not been from Galilee area. He would have been kind of an out-of-towner, if you will. But I happen to believe that that's not what that means. I believe the word Iscariot is related to the Latin term sacarios, which was used as a designation of, of a member of a radical zealot party, those that actually would do something. Get this, they wanted to kill every Roman and every Roman Jew they could find. Matter of fact, Josephus said that these sacarios was around even in the time of Paul. That's about when Josephus would have been writing some of those things. And he said that they feared they would come in and they would carry little small daggers under their robe, under their robe rather, and they would pull that little dagger out and at some time they would actually pierce another Jew if they thought that they were actually following Rome and going by Rome's standards. They were called the Sakari. I believe that Judas... Iscariot was in a way related to the Sakari of this day. He was a radical zealot, a man who had a dagger, if you will, Judas with a dagger. You can imagine him uh, very angry because the Jerusalem that he loved is now overthrown by a bunch of Romans. His attraction, his affection, his emotion, these things have made him the person of a traitor. Now go back to verse 21 of John 13. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit. Now Jesus is troubled at what he just said in verses 18, 19, and 20. And testified and said, now notice what Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Now, just think about it. There's only 13 people in this room that we know of. 12 disciples and Jesus. One of you is going to betray me. Now, there's only 24 hours until Jesus dies. Get this. They're in the upper room. Now, skip down to verse 23. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him and how he, that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. I can see Peter riled up at this, gritting his teeth. Who is it going to betray Jesus? I'll get him, I'll kill him. Look at verse 25. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? John, John's on the right hand. Lays his head on Jesus' breast. Judas, I believe, on the left, the chair of honor. Jesus then has a conversation with John. Look at verse 26. And Jesus answered, He it is, to whom I shall give a sop. This is a toast. This would be like you giving some type of honor to a person sitting at a table. He said, I will give to him, I will give a sop when I have dipped it. He gets the first dibs. He, he's the first guest of honor. He's going to take the first bite. And when he dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot. This is a sign of honor. The son of Simon. So, 
You need to know that that statement that Jesus makes to John in verse 26 was between he and John. It's not to all the disciples. This is a conversation. John's literally right beside him. I want you to freeze in your mind just a minute that picture the host of the Passover supper would give that bread to the first guest of honor, which would be Judas. And I believe that this was the one of the invitations. Listen, this is one of the invitations where Judas could have said, Jesus, no, I don't want that. This was Jesus' way of saying, Judas, I'm giving you a chance. I love you. I I want you to love me back. I want you to receive me. I wonder at Judas' pulse rate, I wonder if his heart began to pound fervently in his guilty conscience as Jesus is handing this piece of bread, this honorary gesture to this betrayer. But he rejects it because look what happens in verse 27. And after the sop, after this little gesture, Satan entered into him. The moment Judas said no for the last time. Now remember, Jesus gave Judas chance after chance. But the moment Judas says no... He receives it. Satan enters into him and then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest do quickly. My time has come. Judas, you're going to betray me. I'm I'm dying tomorrow. All this is about to happen. Whatever you're going to do, Judas... Now, the disciples, they're still baffled. They think that Judas and Jesus are having a conversation about something totally different. Matter of fact, it says in verse 28, no man, now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. They don't know about the conversation. They don't know what John and Jesus and and Judas have been conversing about. Oh, but listen, something very epic just happened. Satan has entered into... Judas, and one wonders if Judas could look into Jesus' eyes and see the love that Jesus had for him. Now that Judas has made his choice, verse 27, and Satan enters into him, and then then verse 29, and some of them thought that Judas had the bag and that Jesus had said unto him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast and that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was at night. He had already pre-convened, according to Luke, what he was going to sell Jesus for. 30 pieces of silver. Judas had one last effort, one last time. Jesus had given him one more chance to say, you know what, I, I love you, Judas. You don't have to do this. But Judas chose. And if you die and go to hell, you chose. There's not some elected to hell and some elected to heaven and there's nothing we can do about it. Jesus gave Judas chance after chance just like he's given you chance after chance. He wants you to come to him. He loves you. You say, Pastor, then how does this story apply to me today? 
I'm going to give you three things this morning very briefly. What's the application? What is it that, that you're trying to tell us? What is it the Spirit of God is trying to teach us through the story of Judas Iscariot? First application is this, and don't miss this. It is possible to be close to the truth without accepting the truth. How close was Judas? How close was he to the truth? Well, he sat beside him at supper. How close was Judas? Well, he went to the garden a little later on and, and, and to identify who Jesus was, he had to kiss him on the cheek. And so we could say that Jesus kissed the door or Judas kissed the door to heaven, but he went to hell. He was that close. Some of you are close to truth every week. The truth is preached. The truth is taught. The truth is given to you and you're close to it. You rub shoulders with it. You sat down with it. You're, you're around it, but you have never accepted it. Here's the second application. It is possible to associate with Christ without accepting Christ. You say, what do I mean? This is to anyone who has simply come to church for all the wrong reasons. come to church to make friends. You come to church because it's the hottest church in town. I mean, boy, everybody's going there. It's just popular. We're just going to go there. I'm going there so I can maybe meet some business contacts. You know, there's people at church and I can start talking to people and maybe, maybe something will work out. I'm going to church because I'll get the pastor off my back. He, he won't text me this week. He won't. You know, Jesse will leave me alone. You know, nobody's going to be following up on me. Nobody's going to be reaching out to me. I'll go to church this week. Some of you go to church because maybe you got caught in some type of sinful behavior and now you got to get religious. So you go to church. It is possible to associate with Christ without accepting. Listen to this, church. It's possible to associate with Christ without accepting Jesus Christ as Savior. Here's the third and final application. It is possible to personally hear the truth without ever personally applying the truth. here's the warning for you this morning. You have heard the Word of God preached. And like Judas, Judas rejected the message. Judas rejected the Messiah. Judas rejected Jesus' love. And there's, there's many that will walk outdoors every Sunday and reject the truth of God's Word. Salvation is available today. Love is available today. Peace is available today. Hope is available today. Joy is available today. All you have to do is receive. Receive it. Judas 
rejected the truth because, listen to this, the Jesus that he followed did not meet his expectations. My wife and I got married 10 days after she graduated college. We met in college. I was a senior. She was a sophomore. We just became friends, and then that friendship over time after I graduated, we, we had kind of a long-distance relationship, and I would call her, and uh, we'd talk, and, you know, I was working several jobs. She was going to school and working in the evening, so it was, there, there was times where we, you know, we, we had a 15-minute call here or a 30-minute call. It was tough. And I told her, I said, honey, I'm going to try to, uh, uh, you know, obey your dad's wishes, honor them. He wanted her to wait till after college. So uh, I did, 10 days. Y'all could tell we were excited, 10 days. Only reason it was 10 days is because she had to move from Indiana to, to North Carolina. So we were in ministry. I was a youth pastor already. I was teaching in a Christian school. I was, uh, uh, you know, it was a good church. It was a good school. There was a lot going on, a lot of exciting stuff. Leading, a, uh, started a youth choir. and God was just working and blessing and we got married and moved into a house and uh, just bought this house. And we were just so excited about what God had done. We didn't have any kids yet. We were just, uh, just you know, happily newly married, working in the church. We had an evangelist come. He was an older evangelist named Carl Hatch. He came and preached at my dad's church. He was a dear friend of my dad's. He preached on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday night. This was probably five months after we got married, six months after we got married, something like that. He preached all day Sunday. My wife got sick. She said, I'm not feeling well. He was supposed to preach Monday and Tuesday night. And one of those nights, I can't remember, but one of those nights, she wasn't feeling well. And I said, well, I'm just going to go to church and, and uh, you just sit here and, and, and stay in the bed or whatever. And, and so she did, and I went to church that night. Well, during that service that night, we had some people in our church get saved. I mean, the power of God fell on that place and folks started getting saved, people that I thought was saved. Jacob's mother got saved that night. Miss Karen McCullough, one of the sweetest ladies I ever met in my life, and Miss Karen said, I'm not saved, and she came forward and got saved. Another lady got saved. My dad looked at me and said, son, go ahead and get, get ready to baptize. You're going to baptize. So I had the honor of baptizing uh, Miss Karen. It's a long time ago. So that night when I went home, that night I, I, uh, my wife was in the bed. The, the, the house was kind of dark and um, she was already kind of asleep. And so I went and I walked in. I didn't want to wake her up. I thought she was asleep. So I sat on the couch and I was just kind of thinking through my mind, boy, this was, oh, man, what a night. Wow, this is great. Good night. This is wonderful. People saved. This is exciting. Turned the TV on, was watching a little bit of Sports Center. Just unwinding, grabbed me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and I heard some sniffling in the side room. We lived in a little small house. You could hear everything. I heard some sniffling in the back room, like right, right around the corner. Door was cracked. I said, Honey, are you okay? Is everything, you need anything? No response. I said, You know, maybe I was just hearing stuff. Next thing I know, she's standing at the door just like this and had 
really flush face or her, her face is red and her eyes were swollen and teared up. And I, I said, oh no. I said, are you feeling worse? What, what can I do for you? Are you, what's wrong? She said, no, that's not it. I said, well, what's wrong? She said, I'm lost. I said, lost? What do you mean lost? In my mind, I'm thinking lost, like what, 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 what are you talking about? And, and I was trying to understand it. Now listen, a preacher, a staff member, a, I mean, a, a wonderful church, a wonderful youth group, everything just was great. And my wife did not know if she was saved. I grabbed my Bible and she wasn't at the service. She, there was no live stream back then. There's no way that she knew what was going on other than the Spirit of God visited the church and went three minutes around the corner and visited that room. And I took my Bible out and I said, well, honey, you've heard these things. You graduated Bible college five months ago. It's amazing that you can sit in a Degreed Bible college. A church of 10,000 people. Hear a preacher that preached like forked lightning. Bug-eyed, veins popping out his neck. And still sit there and be that close to the truth and not know Jesus. Right there at our couch in our living room at 222 Spring Hill Drive, my wife received Jesus Christ as Savior. Let me tell you something. Listen. If, if she can know, and I talked to her last night. I said, honey, I'm going to use that as an illustration. If she can know, then so can you. And if you don't know this evening, I beg of you. This morning, I beg of you. Trust Jesus today. What's the message? What's the application? It's possible to be personally hearing the truth while ever applying the truth of the gospel. The way was standing in front of Judas the whole time, and you know what he did? He walked away. Let's not do that.